Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have the curator of home construction, Monica Zazada. Did I pronounce that correctly, Monica? Very, very well. Great. Congratulations, John, I, because people do have problems with that. No, I, I, I just want to make sure. That's all. Before we talk about your business, the amazing, I'm always fascinated by people's journeys. So tell us, how did you get from Poland to curating home construction in the Hamptons? Well, that would be American literature. <laughs> I, majored, <laughs> I majored in American literature in Poland, and I was offered a position to teach there. So my career was supposed to be this academic career, you know, writing books, doing perhaps, you know, PhD. And I thought it would be so silly to teach the literature of the country I never visited. So I translated a book, How to Live with Illiterable Bowel Syndrome in Two Weeks in Poland from English to Polish, drinking copious amounts of coffee. That's how I made my money to pay for a ticket. And then now, exactly 30 years and a few months later, um, I really don't have much to do with literature unless it's counting the emails I'm sending or creating educational materials. And I am, just like you said, I am a curator of home construction projects. So uh, so it would be, yes, American literature who brought me from- wow, that's here. a great story. I love that. Um, so how did you get into the construction business? I mean, you know, as a young lady, you came here, okay, here you are in the States. <laughs> And you, I imagine you can pick up a hammer and a hammer a nail. Uh, okay. Well, I don't do pick up uh, hammers or nail too much. However, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but sometimes, you know, there are these moments when there is a person with the right question at the right moment. And I did have such a person. It was at a new year's party and they were asking me, what do you want? What do you want? And I said, I want a challenge. I was then working uh, as a as a teacher's aide in Stella Maris School. No longer the school is here in Sac Harbor, and I just said, I, I I have enough of work with children. I want a challenge, and the challenge was to come and work with a general contractor, and that was extremely appealing to me, John, because I have a few passions in life. So one is books, and the other passion is home, home. You know, its value, its romance the the comfort that it gives us and literally i have i do have uh, i do have shivers like the best kind of shivers when i'm talking about home so when when uh when the general contractor asked me if i wanted to come and help him you know i was i was absolutely yes yes you know he's the one who brings home to life and i do want to be part of that hmm. how long have you been in the uh, construction business uh since 1997 to be exact Wow. So you have some experience. Five years. Yeah. You know, uh, I know we spoke earlier and I had said to you, you know, I wish I had known you when I did an addition to my to my house. And you said that's the number one thing people say to me. And why do they say that? Well, most construction projects are 
a horror story. It's just a question of, is it going to be a mini horror story or is it going to be a horror story of gargantuan proportions? Okay? I know there's never, there's never like a happy ending to get through these stories because I've <laughs> heard many of them, but please, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So continue. Yeah. So, so, so it's an undeniable fact, John, that most, most projects do end up being a horror story. And my three favorite ones, super, super, super short are one is poof is what happened with my money when I was building my home. <laughs> Horror story number two is <laughs> I was sobbing behind a dumpster full of demolition garbage. Half of my roof was gone and my contractor was two. And horror story number three, my renovation went to hell in a handbasket. So it can be anything, right? You can, right. anything you can imagine. And you actually cannot make these things up. And I think that, you know, not I think, I know that there are two major reasons. This one is the state of the building industry. It's a very dysfunctional place that that creates this situation in which all the parties involved, so you as a homeowner and the professionals that are brought to your project are always finding themselves having to defend their positions. And that is all because of the flawed process that brings them together in the first place. And reason number two is there is really no education for homeowners that would give them very comprehensive but unbiased knowledge about the whole process. Because as a homeowner, you have an extremely important role in your project, but really most people have no idea about the process and, and the steps or the chronological order in which they should uh, approach their project. So if somebody, for two reasons. Okay. I was just going to say, so somebody could come to you and you can guide them is what you're saying is like they can hire you to, to help them go through the process, right? That's exactly right. Which actually dives very nicely to the theme of the name of my service, which is D Amazing. So the, the, the name was bestowed upon me by, by a client who said, Monica, before you, I really felt as if I were in a maze with my project. I literally was facing this, this just, you know, impossible task. I had no idea what, what step I should take, whether I should step left or right, turn left or right. And she said, do you realize you cracked the code? You demaze the maze. You are so demazing. Wow. Hence, this is, this is um, again, the name was bestowed upon me by a client. And I think that's, a, I, I love it. That's fascinating. I, I think that's great. Now, if you go to your website, I know you have uh, the must-haves that people need if they're thinking of reno renovating or adding an addition to their home, could you tell us maybe just one of those must-haves? Yes. So the, the most important fact, the most important step is planning and education. It's just, I, I like to say that, you know, building without, without education is like having a root canal without Novocaine. Mm. It really is so, so, so super important for you to be, to be aware of what you are going to, to face. And so, yeah, so it's, it's the planning, it's, it's hiring, realizing that you do need professional help, or if not, that you do need to take on yourself what professionals would be doing, because each project has two, uh, two components to it. It's, it's documentation, which is usually what your design professional, interior designer, architect, 
would take care of. And the more documentation you have, the better you are going to be. So more is definitely more when it's come, when it comes to documentation. It's essentially your insurance policy. So it is, it is your vision distilled and transformed into plans. Uh, exterior elevations, interior elevations and such. And then there is execution, which is best handled by a contractor if your project is huge enough. And it if it is small, even if it is just repainting your kitchen cabinets, John, these components do apply. And then it's you, a homeowner, as a decision maker. Right. Well, that's one of the things I, I saw with uh, uh, my addition. Um and I'll just tell you something that was interesting that uh, I had gone through four architects till I finally found an architect that give me something. And I said to the last one, I said, listen, I'm not going to pay you. Here's a napkin. Give me an idea of what you're, you want to come up with. And he nailed it where I had already paid three other architects prior to him. Every time I look at the plans, I said, this is not really what I think it should be the, you know, the addition. And uh, he did that. I loved him. I found the builder. Now, the only issue that I had at the time was that I had to act as a psychiatrist between the two of them because they didn't get along. So how do you overcome something like that? I mean, okay, you, you, you find the architect that you think, you find the builder that you say, oh, this guy can do the build, building part. And yet there's no mesh uh, between the two of them. Is it, have you ever run into that or do you have any suggestions? I mean, how do you uh, cope with something like that? Yes. Yeah, so I do run into that. There is, I, I, I am, I am asked a lot of times to troubleshoot troubled projects, right? I do believe that chemistry pays, plays an extremely important part when it comes to your home renovation. Again, so much is at stake, your home, one of the biggest, if not the biggest assets of your life, right? Mm -hmm. So you do have to have the team that works together and not, you know, they are not at one another's throats, right? right. So there is a process and I, I tell people, I teach people that they should date, literally date, you know, contractors and architects. And you do need to actually provide a lot of information for the architect or other design professionals to actually be serving you in any meaningful manner. You do need to tell them how you live, what you want in your rooms and not just what you want to do, but how you want to do it exactly. Like I love watching TV lying down. So my TV has a nice chase lounge. I am lying down. I don't like sitting. Right. And so you do, you do, need to bring the two professionals together and then see how they are interacting because a lot of architects have egos is what clients are telling me. And actually clients are telling me that most of them are intimidated by architects. And then most clients telling me that they are, that they think that the contractors are there to rip them off, you know, which is of course we are people. It's, it's, there are perfectly wonderful architects and perfectly wonderful and honest contractors. So it's an observation. It's, it's their interaction. And also you asking the right questions. How are they going to support you? What were the most difficult projects in their careers and how they handled them? And then by their answers, you will be, and you know, you will be able to ascertain whether they will work well with you and whether they are towards collaboration rather than, you know, discord, creating discord. Right. So people can hire you to come in 
at any point, basically, it was what you're saying with a project, like you said, you can come in, like if I had started this project, then all of a sudden I heard about you, like I, listening on the radio and I said, geez, I'm going to call Monica and you could come in and, and fix the situation, so to speak. And, but also you have this other capability too, that you offer educational services. Can, can you elaborate on that? Yes. Yeah, so in addition to my, you know, high ticket, high touch, uh, done for you curatorship service. And I have the best results when I am not just called to troubleshoot because then, you know, the project is sometimes, you know, the client has lo has lost or paid a lot of money unnecessarily. I prefer to be with a client from the very beginning, from A to Z, from this aha moment for an idea of a project in their heads on the way to the Zen-like feeling of their housewarming party. So the best results are if I am if I am present from the inception. So it's this done for you curatorship service. And then I do on my website have a lot of uh, free educational materials, which is this ebook that you mentioned, three must haves for successful home construction. I also have a free masterclass, three home construction success hacks. And if you register, you are also going to get free 16 money-saving tips. And I also have an online course. So there is a lot for you to really, you know, go through and take advantage of to be well set for your project. That's fabulous. Uh, Monica, how can somebody get in touch with you if they had more questions? Uh, it's The best way would be my website, which is www.de-mazing.com. And again, there is my phone number, my email, there is a form to fill if you want to. And you can, you know, also grab a free construction therapy session. That's another thing that I do. So there are many ways in which I can help you free of charge. Oh, fantastic. Monica Zaza, Zazada, I apologize, of The Amazing. No it was a pleasure having you on this program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Please stay where you are since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have with me the dual license broker for the city and also the Hamptons, Bob Katine. Hey, Bob, how are you today? I'm good, John. How are you? Good. I have no complaints. Beautiful day. So let's carry on, as they say. Uh, before we talk about the city and, and the Hamptons, which you have uh, knowledge in both areas, let's talk a little bit about you. How long have you been in real estate? I got my first license in 1972, and I've been licensed since then in seven different states. Wow. So what, what three things do you owe your success in real estate to? What do you think? Well, you know, I, I think that being detail-oriented uh, in most markets is important, but getting referrals is the single most important. So if you do a good job, which is the third thing, then you get the referrals. And then if you do a really good job with the referred customer, you get a deal. 
I love it. I love I love your uh, perspective there. So what attracted you to real estate? I mean, you've had a, a varied background. So what got you into real estate? Early on, I had a lot of free time on my hands when I was flying commercially. So real estate was a simple, easy thing to do as a part-time job. And then when I ended up going into the corporate world, I got involved with brick and mortar and having a real estate license was a real advantage in my management positions in the corporate world. And then when I retired, I thought, well, here's another way for me to make some money, meet some people, be social. And so, although I should be uh, hanging it all up at my age, here I am. And you're doing a hell of a uh, bang up job, by the way. Um, Thanks, John. You got it. Any what kind of advice would you give somebody that uh, was thinking about becoming an agent? You know that say had some free time on their hands, like you did years ago. You know the biggest issue that I find with real estate is that it's almost too easy for someone to become an agent, and so. Someone who has a friend that wants to buy a house says, why don't you become an agent, become my agent and do a deal? And that can work. Uh, but that takes away from all the people that are truly in it um, to make a living and to be professional real estate people. So my suggestion, anyone wanting to get in is to get a license, align with some existing agent or agents uh, as part of a team or under a mentor program or anything and really jump in with both feet, learn the business and be a full-time professional real estate person. That's great advice. Um, speaking of mentors, did you have any along the way that uh, uh, gave you advice that you still employ today? I think in every real estate job I've held, whether it's been the primary principal broker or other people in the office, there have been enough people willing to take me under their wing that I've been able to expand my knowledge base um, and informal education, uh, if you will, over all these years. Okay. Um, so let's let's talk about the, the market, specifically the uh, five boroughs of the city, first of all. OK, the new, newspapers love to sell newspapers. So they say the market is cooling. Do you think that's happening? And if so, at what price points? Well, you know, the more that we talk about inflation or market cooling or bad economy or good economy, it almost begets itself within the five boroughs in New York. My main focus is on Brooklyn and Manhattan. I do a little bit in Queens. I don't really know much about Staten Island or the Bronx, so I really can't comment on them. But I would say that the articles are correct. The market is cooling. People have moved back from the Hamptons and the Jersey Shore and the Connecticut Shore now that restaurants have opened up and the theaters have opened up. Um, and there was a kind of a rush back in town this past year, like there was a rush out of town 
in 2020. And so that is kind of cooled. However, when you get into properties um, above maybe $3 million, there's still a pool of buyers. And those buyers typically aren't concerned about 7% mortgages. They're paying cash. So the areas that have I've seen at least gotten hit the most have been those properties under $3 million and the rental market in Manhattan and in the Bronx. Speaking of the uh, rental market, is that any different from uh, last year? The rental market's way off from last year. There's a lot less inventory. Um, prices have come down, uh, even though there's less inventory, because there's no, just not a lot of people uh, rushing to get back in to Manhattan. Right. Okay. Um, are builders still offering incentives to rent? Some buildings, some landlords are willing to pay the uh, commission fee, which typically in Manhattan has been the responsibility of the tenant. Um, there's less exclusives requiring a 15% fee and more one month fees. Okay. Um, so you, you're saying, what about the sales market? Is the inventory uh, still low on that? Well, again, there's a slowing of those properties, I would say, under $3 million from what I see. And part of that is going to be driven by higher mortgage rates because the people that are in the lower priced properties are typically people that are going to take a mortgage. And so that that uh, causes a contraction, more or less, right? Right. And you would think it would be the opposite, that as far as the rental market goes, that if people are holding off to buy, they're going to rent to see what happens with inflation and their bonuses and the economy. But we're seeing, at least I'm seeing, and the agents that I interact with are seeing a reduction in both Sales under three million and rentals. Okay, um, what kind of advice would you offer to sellers in Manhattan? We'll say, for the time being, uh, when it comes to pricing. Well, anywhere, whether it's Manhattan or not, if you want to sell a property, it needs to be priced correctly for the market. And so, good real estate professionals will provide good input onto what the real market value is, which may be different than the expectations of the seller. So the seller needs to be given the information so that they can make an informed decision on really how to price their property. Isn't it a little difficult because the prices have been rising so uh rapidly that uh if you do comps a lot of times the comps aren't not really uh showing what the market's like because before you could go back a year and say okay a year ago xyz sold for this but now uh since the market's moving quickly uh how do you go about doing that 
How do you pray? How do you come up with comps? That's, you know, that's the kind of issue that especially gone on because of what has happened since the beginning of 2020 with COVID. We all of a sudden had an overly aggressive market with prices that were way out of line with what they should have been. So if you look back only a year or a year and a half, the comps are going to show COVID-driven pricing in many places. To some extent, Manhattan, it's going to be on the negative side because you really had to drop the price to get someone to move into Manhattan in 2020 or 21, where in the Hamptons, people were doing, you know, a bidding wars in order to get a property. So it's very important to find more about what's currently on the market and what is how long it's been on and whether there's been price movement than what sold a year ago. Right, right, right. Okay, since you uh, mentioned the Hamptons, let's pivot to the uh, Hamptons. Do you think there are any any towns or locales uh, that are especially hot? You know, in 2004, Sag Harbor finally became considered the Hamptons. And probably in 2010, Montauk, finally became considered to be the Hamptons. Since then, those are two of the probably hottest towns on the East End that are kind of relegated along age lines. Younger people are uh, going to the to Montauk, where the older buyers um, above 40, if you want to consider that old, uh, are rallying around Sag Harbor. All of the villages tend to be stronger, in my opinion, than out in the the woods or the backcountry. Uh, and of course, all the waterfront property um, just is the last to go down in price and the first to recover. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, what do you think about the inventory out in the Hamptons? I'm seeing quite a bit of inventory of non-waterfront, non-village proper properties. Got it. Okay. Um, has the mortgage rates, uh, the rise in the mortgage rates, do you think that's affecting the, uh, the Hamptons market? I'm sure that's affecting the lower price properties, just like in Manhattan. Again, I think you get into the upper uh, price offerings and there's enough people out there with money. And when I would say that 90% of the deals I've done have been all cash and an all cash deal, they don't really care about the mortgage rates. That's so true. Um, how do you see the sales market for the rest of the year? Well, like I think I alluded to a little earlier, I think that the market on waterfront is going to stay hot. The market on village uh, proper, meaning, you know, a property where you can just walk into the village um, is going to stay moderately hot. And everything else, I think, is kind of up in the air. 
Right. Okay. If someone uh, had more questions for you, how could they reach you? They can reach me at robert.katine, K-I-T-T-I-N-E, at corcoran.com, or on my cell phone at 631-374-9652. Bob, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the bustling village of Southampton, New York on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. If you'd like to hear this program or again, or any other podcast, please go to WLIW.org slash radio slash real life. Thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.